0: This is Dean Mathis, the director of Capital Ministries Michigan. Today we're going to talk about plan to be blessed. Doesn't that sound like a great idea? There's a way you can plan to be blessed, and we find out the principles for that fact in Zechariah chapter 8. And it is a part of what we began last week. A couple of years have passed since Zechariah first addressed and encouraged the leaders of the new struggling group that has come back from exile to Babylon to rebuild a temple. He's been encouraging them and promising God's success for that project and blessing if they'll just get on with it. And then he prophesied that the obstacle that was keeping them from doing it would be removed and that obstacle was removed. And now they had begun the project. There are other issues that were brought to them and, and addressed and answered. But in chapter 8, he comes back to the issue of right then and right where they were. How does God indicate that he is moving on now in a positive way that they have begun to obey him again and do what he put them there to do to rebuild the country around the central worship site of the temple and thus demonstrate their faith in him and their obedience to what he has commanded them to do? And also how this spills over into their moral, personal lives and into their political lives. So we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 17 today. This is around 518 BC, 518 years before Christ came. This is going on. And this is all part of God's program in bringing the Messiah into the world through the Jewish people. And they had been disciplined. They had been sent off to exile because they had fallen into tremendous moral laxity and disobedience because of their descent into idolatry. They had become just like the countries that God had sent them into to displace. They had become unjust. They had become oppressive. They had become wicked. And so all those calamities had come on them just as God had promised that they would, beginning with Moses. And so now, just as he promised that he would bring them back into the land after 70 years of exile, many of them have started to come back and to try to rebuild this country. But the thing they're coming back to has been sort of laid fallow for like 70 some odd years. There have been some settlements in the Samaria region, but the land is wild and untamed and there are difficulties. There are people that don't want them to move back in. And so they're beginning to look at these things. They have a tendency to get discouraged. And so God is encouraging them to get with it because their immediate forefathers or grandfathers had been sent off to exile because of their disobedience to God's prophets. And now they're in a new day, a couple of new prophets have come along. And so if they want to show their obedience to God, they can obey the principles that the Bible has already given them, the Bible that they had at the time. And then they can now move out with the messages from these new prophets who have demonstrated that they really are speaking from God. And they can find God's blessing. They can plan to be blessed. In verse 9, we read these words. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong, you who are listening in these days to these words from the mouth of the prophets. Now, the prophets he's talking about there are the contemporary prophets of Haggai and Zechariah, that you go listen to in these days to the words spoken from the mouth of these prophets, those who who spoke in the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid to the end that the temple might be built. So, he said, you've, you've gotten started again. They're two years into the rebuilding cycle. They had been delayed for 15 years, but now they're back at it, and they're actually getting on with the project. Verse 10 goes on to say this, For Before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for animal, And for him who went out or came in, there was no peace because of his enemies. And I set all men one against another. The prophet Haggai, who was a contemporary of Zechariah, said the same thing. In Haggai chapter 1, verse 6, You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, there is not enough to become drunk or enough to become satisfied. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough, and he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Now the reason they were in this situation, if you'll look at verses 1 through 5 of the prophet of Haggai, was that they had been building their houses rather than building the house of God. And what had happened was this. When Cyrus had sent the people back, he sent them back with enough money, and then also orders to give to local quarry people and to people up in Lebanon to bring in stone and lumber in order for them to rebuild the outer walls of the temple and to panel them on the inside with the cedar from Lebanon and all of that. What had happened, and Haggai was pointing out, was that the people, during that period of delay, rather than continuing on to be obedient to God, had literally gone down and stolen lumber and stone From the temple. They had been taking lumber from the church, for crying out loud, and building their own houses. They had been taking what was basically public property, and not only that, things that had been set aside for sacred use and using it for their own purposes. And God said, Because of that, you've got all of these issues that come before you. And there are three things that He names here there is unemployment, there was problem with external enemies, and then there was internal strife. Does that sound familiar? Is there a connection between our spiritual relationship with God, our moral behavior, and whether or not we live in a society that is blessed or not, where positive things happen? Do you possibly think there's a connection? Because the Bible clearly teaches there is. And if you just addressed problems politically or economically or coercively, you aren't going to get at the real problem, which is spiritual and moral in its context. Well, he now goes on to say, because you have repented, you've changed your mind about that behavior, you've brought some of that stuff back, you have begun to be obedient to God and to get on with the job of rebuilding this culture by rebuilding First of all, the worship center of this country, demonstrating by that their faith in God. He said in verse 11 of Zechariah chapter 8, But now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. I'm not going to treat you people in the way that what happened to your forefathers because they were in disobedience and I had to keep my word and send them away in exile, as I said I would if they weren't going to obey me and they become just like everybody else. But now you've come back and now you've begun to be obedient to what I sent you back here to do, to rebuild the nation. And I know the nation has shrunk from an empire that was in the glory of David and Solomon's day that covered all of modern day Israel, the northern part of Jordan, all of Syria, all the way up in influence, almost to the Euphrates River. It was a huge empire, not exactly of all that was under their control, but all that was under their tremendous influence. But they had peace and they had prosperity during that 80-year period. But now it's been reduced to a little country that's about the size of the city of Lansing, Michigan. It's just not very big. And they're having to start all over again with a small group of people to rebuild this country. But God says, don't look at your size. Look at me. Look at my capabilities. I've brought you back here from exile. I have Put you here, and now I'm going to continue to bless you. Verse 11, he says this, But now I will not treat the remnant of this people, the people he's talking to, as in the former days declares the Lord of hosts. Verse 12, For there will be peace for the seed, the vine will yield its fruit, the land will yield its produce, and the heavens will yield their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to inherit all these things. It will come about. I'm in verse 13 now. Just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you that you may become a blessing. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong. Verse 14. But thus says the Lord of hosts, just as I proposed to do harm to you, that is to give you the consequences of your sin, when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I have not relented. So, verse 15, again I have proposed in these days to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. Down in verse 16, these are the things which you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. Verse 17, and let none of you devise evil in your hearts against one another. And do not love perjury. For all these are things I hate, declares the Lord. Now, God says, if you would like to make a plan, to be blessed. I'm already pouring blessings out on you. Some of the consequences of that unholy trinity of unemployment and economic issues that cannot be solved. Of enemies from the without plaguing you. And strife from within as you bicker and fight with each other. Those are all correctable as you turn to me and my strength comes into your life and into your heart and into your mind. And I can protect you from external enemies. I can protect you from eating each other alive, and when that happens and you begin to live with equanimity and honesty with each other, you will have economic prosperity, and I will bless your land because of that. Now that you're paying attention to me and trusting in me and worshiping me and establishing once again this new thing in the world, reestablishing the temple worship, then I am going to bring about blessing to you. And he said, here are some things that you can kind of use as a checklist to see whether or not you're planning to be blessed or not. And these are the things that you do. Number one, speak truth to one another. When you talk to each other, tell the truth. Don't lie to people. Don't lie to your colleagues. Don't lie to your opponents. Speak the truth to one another. We live in a day in which there's an awful lot of lying and squabbling and debate over who's telling the truth and who's not telling the truth and it creates strife in our culture. It creates strife in people's personal lives. And it hasn't changed on all these last 2,500 years. It's still the same old issue. And God says, if you want to be blessed, don't do that. And then he said, judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. In other words, when you make decisions and value judgments, what you're looking for is to bring about harmony, reconciliation, peace, and equity for everybody. You want to do the truth, and you want everybody to be equally benefited. You don't want to be cheating each other with the way you negotiate with each other and the way you craft your laws. In verse 17, he said, Also, let none of you devise evil in your heart against one another. Don't be plotting to get even. Don't be plotting to win every time. And do not have this desire for revenge and that sort of stuff. In other words, look toward your fellow human beings in a peaceful way. The New Testament says it this way, as much as within you lies, be at peace with all men. Try to find out common ground. Try to find a way to continue a conversation in truth with a real attitude of fairness on everybody's part. And I guarantee you that most of the economic and other issues that you face will take care of themselves because you'll be dealing with each other in fidelity and in honesty. And then he says, and do not love perjury. Now, perjury is lying in court, lying under oath, lying to twist justice. And it is a felony in our culture. And every day we know the consequences of what happens when people commit perjury. But there's also personal perjury that people commit. And then there's media perjury that people commit. And God said, I'm not going to bless that. Then notice this real sobering statement from God for all these things, these things that he just listed. These are things I hate, declares the Lord, the I am, Yahweh. Folks, you don't want to be on the wrong side of things that God literally has openly and pointedly said, I hate this. God is not going to bless it. God is going to bring it to defeat. And God said, you're not going to win. So let's summarize. The reason why they're back now with just a tiny fraction of the territory they once held, the reason why they are under Gentile domination rather than being the triumphant, glorious kingdom of David and Solomon's day. All of that came about because their grandfathers had lived for hundreds of years in spiritual rebellion against God, and they had become as wicked and as crooked and as corrupt as the nations around them. They were not behaving the way that God said they should behave as He gave them the laws from Moses. And when they weren't behaving a certain way, it meant that they weren't believing a certain way. They were not really believing in God as the only God. And they were not worshiping him and allowing his spirit to control their lives. That just was not happening. And so as God had promised to Moses and then later warned them through the prophets that came along, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and others, he promised that he would discipline them. He's never going to remove his covenant from them, but he's going to discipline them. But he also prophesied that a king would come along by the name of Cyrus who would give them the right to come back to the land. Isaiah prophesied that 150 years before it happened. And that's exactly what came to pass. And so now they're back there. But once they'd gotten back there, they had been delayed in getting on with their work. They had had some enemies. But those obstacles have been removed. And now here they are. And God is saying, because you've begun to do the work again, they've been at it for now about two years. Don't quit. Don't lose heart. You see, sometimes when we change our mind and we repent, we get right with God and we start doing things the way we should be doing them. After a while, we begin to get a little tired of that. It becomes routine. And we need these reminders from the Word of God that there are just ordinary days in life in which we just are sort of walking along. And those days are just as important as the times of inspiration and the time of warm fuzzies and all of that stuff. That Just a plain old ordinary day is a great thing. It's a great gift from God. And just continually plodding along, doing the right thing day in and day out is a special kind of spiritual work. It's a special kind of blessing that comes into our lives. And God is saying, don't get tired at this point. Don't quit doing the right thing. Now, we look around us and oftentimes in the short term, it looks like the bad guys win. The people who lie, the people who are manipulative, the people who do plot schemes and launch them against people and ruin lives and careers. The people who do that stuff look like they are getting away with it. They look like they're doing pretty doggone well. But I have news for you. They're not. And God has a promise for those people. He says, there are things that you do to each other that I hate. And after a while, God calls everybody to account. God brings everything to light. Now, some of that may not happen even in this particular lifetime, but in the world to come and the final judgments of God about your life personally, there's not going to be any escaping the fact that God is going to be very, very open about where you stand with him. Now, the beginning point is exactly the beginning point that they were called to do, which is to turn to the Lord in faith, that is, being convinced that it's true, that what he says he will do, he will do. And when you turn in faith to him and you receive the gift of eternal life by grace through faith because of the finished work of Christ, then you're on your way to being greatly blessed beyond your imagination. The ultimate goal of God is that your life will be a blessing to yourself to others, and then something that will give him great delight because the way he works in this world is he blesses other people through us, and he blesses us through the life and ministry and work of other people. And you're down in your ordinary life doing a lot of mundane things, just like these people were. They were down there building a temple. They were down there in their other time working in the fields, making a living. And God said, I am going to make those things prosperous and those things blessed because you're putting me first spiritually and you're doing those things which are rebuilding this country spiritually. Now I'm going to bless everything else. And he has that same message for us. When we turn and pay attention to, with at least a part of our time, working on our spiritual walk with him and working on our behavior with each other, that it would be that which is bringing about peace and communication and truth. And those things take place. Don't you worry about it. God plans to bless that. And you can count on that. That's his plan for you. That's his dream for you. And it is his dream for all of us. May God richly bless you.